This is Health Matters with Robin Louise, sponsored by Michigan Primary Care Partners on WBRN. Health Matters is a paid program which does not reflect the opinions of the management of WBRN and the Big Rapids Radio Network. And now, here's Robin Louise. And we're back, and we've been talking with Dr. Singh this morning and discussing fibromyalgia. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm getting to say it better. Very See, the more good. you say something, the better it gets. It's very prevalent. I mean, a lot of people deal with this, mm-hmm. and so it's a very important topic to cover. And we're back with Dr. Singh now. And Dr. Singh, before we left, uh, you had started touching on differential diagnosis of fibromyalgia. Yeah. So, you know, very interesting uh, differential diagnosis for fibromyalgia. The most important thing is the thyroid uh, testing. So when you ask for the symptoms of thyroid, so this is how we go through the differential diagnosis. Differential diagnosis means uh, trying to come narrow the diagnosis. I call it funnel approach, you know. So there's a mix of uh, symptoms. Patient is fatigued. Fatigue can, the patient can be fatigued in fibromyalgia. He can be exhausted and tired in thyroid issues also. Now, we have not touched the patient. I'm talking to the patient right now, right? Mm-hmm. So I have not examined the patient. I don't know whether the patient has a tender points or not. Yeah. So patient is fatigued, comes to me that, you know, has been, the number one thing is we're going to ask how many months this has been going on. More than three months, so we go towards the fibromyalgia. Less than three months, okay. What else can be there? Mm-hmm. So fatigue can be due to hypothyroidism. So what are the symptoms of hypothyroidism? So symptoms are low lung function, low heart function, means you you get fatigued. You now, is hypothyroidism, that's underactive? Um, uh, underactive, okay. yes, underactive, okay. good. Uh, look, I told you, Dr. Rock. <laughs> Uh, you, you are you're getting you know hundred percent points. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Okay, so so uh, Louis is saying that don't uh, you know keep him up, otherwise his head will swell up. <laughs> okay, no, no, just kidding. Uh, so, anyways, so fibromyalgia. So the differential main differential diagnosis is hypothyroidism. Okay, so underactive thyroid. Mm-hmm. The symptoms are fatigue. Fatigue due to what? Your heart, your lungs, you have some weird pain in the chest. F- and then swelling around the eyes. So eyelid swelling can happen. Then you can have skin problems. Skin problems means that you can have numbness and tingling. And that can happen in fibromyalgia also. So that wow. can happen in hypothyroidism. Then you have carpal tunnel syndrome in thyroid, but it can also happen in fibromyalgia also. Wow. Right? So then then you can have the temperature changes happens in thyroid, but not in fibromyalgia. Then blood pressure issues happens in thyroid, but not in thyroid, uh, but not in fibromyalgia. Then depression can happen in both conditions. Obesity can happen in thyroid, and fibromyalgia patients, because they don't exercise, they get tender Because they're sore. And sore, and yeah. they don't exercise, they can get obese. Insomnia, swelling. So insomnia, they because they are painful, they are not able to sleep, and they are have problems with sleeping in both the patients. 
and digestion issues, mostly in thyroid. So this is how we carve the timing. So if it is going on for more than three months, so okay, this has narrowed me in my funnel of differential diagnosis, put the thyroid in the fray and fibromyalgia in the fray. Now, when I examine, I will be examining those points to see whether this is a problem or thyroid is a problem. Mm-hmm. And then we will, that's why we do TSH, the thyroid function test, the thyroid studies. And that's why we examine and making sure that we are not missing any thyroid nodes or you know gland problems mm-hmm. or inflammation in the thyroid. So that is number one. The second differential diagnosis is polymyalgia rheumatica. So patients who have polymyalgia rheumatica, you know, they will have more stiffness rather than the pain. They are more stiff. And their uh, inflammation marker or sed rate or sedimentation or ESR will be higher. So that is a very... The classic is the stiffness in polymyalgia rheumatica, mm-hmm. and not the pain. So pain is more towards the fibromyalgia points, tender points, you know. Then you have muscle weakness, myositis. Sometimes you take, you know, the pills which can cause muscle aches. So then uh, you can have the problems with rheumatoid arthritis and lupus. Usually the connective tissue disorders, how I explain my patients is connective tissue problems or autoimmune issues, they are usually in the morning, okay? Mm-hmm. And gets worse uh, and gets better during the day and in the evening is better. Osteoarthritis or arthritis like, you know, the the problems with the age and wear and tear arthritis, osteoarthritis, mm-hmm. it happens more in the evening after you have done a lot of work. So autoimmune like rheumatoid arthritis, like lupus, it is more in the morning mm-hmm. and once your body loosens up, it gets better. And osteoarthritis, it is less in the morning once you use your body it gets worse. Knee pain, osteoarthritis, hip, osteoarthritis, it can worse. So this is how we kind of throw things in the funnel and start deciphering what exactly, where we want to turn or, you know, turn, where, which disease the, you know, uh, all the symptoms are plugging in. You know, the good part is Dr. Google has done a lot, <laughs> you know, but, you know, I always say, you know, Dr. Google makes patients smart. Mm-hmm. But what as physicians, as a caregivers, we have to do is we have to make patients more smarter. So they have some symptoms, A, B, C, like this. But we have to kind of connect those dots together. And, you know, obviously we are here to help them out. So this is how we come and narrow the differential diagnosis and do the funnel, I call it the funnel approach of differential diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So that's why I call medicine is so fun. It's kind of an investig, you know, I, I love investigating yeah. the, you know, the problems because it just gives you that, uh, I say good night's sleep, you know, mm-hmm. because I, you know, I really enjoy medicine. Yeah. So how does a patient present to you? When they come into you, I mean, is that what it is? I, is you've already talked about that kind of hitting on. Are the, are the Places where you touch, are those pressure points? Is that where you're touching? Yeah, they're called as tender points. You know, previously, what used to happen was, previously, they used to focus on these tender points. And there was, uh, you know, they used to say that you have to apply a very significant amount of pressure about, you know, at that point, 
up to four kilograms per meter square. You know, again, how can we put four? I don't know how. To. So as I was reading, there are instruments available to put a pressure to to diagnose. They are called as dolorimeters. But again, you know, do we have in our clinic those kind of things? No, we don't have it. So we just put a pressure with a thumb and kind of gauge it. But now they have a more structured approach, kind of a checklist approach. Mm-hmm. And uh, that checklist kind of say, you know, you have any fatigue? Do you have, you know, was your sleep unrested? And did you have any cognitive deficits like fog? You are in a daze. And uh, uh, is there any depression or anxiety associated to it? So there is kind of a checklist which will help you to narrow the differential diagnosis. And then you kind of add on top of it put some pressure on the tender points and sometimes what happens is when you see so many patients you come to know you know you get the feel that you know what it appears to me she is going towards towards the direction of this because she has this 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 mm-hmm. and this this we have to, and anyways i usually check thyroid panel in all the patients because it's very very common and then what happens is we can taper our therapies whether we have to send the patients to the exercise you know you know yeah. 20 minutes in a day about three and a half hours in a week out of 168 hours you can always afford three hours now for your we're body. doing math no, uh, <laughs> not, you know, not, not, it's easy you know yeah. so 24 times 7 is 168 so one <clears throat> week has 168 hours why can't we spend three hours for your body to exercise and 168 165 hours, you can do whatever you want. If Dr. Singh is only getting four hours a night sleep and he's finding time to exercise, then all of us can find time to exercise, right? Well, first of all, on behalf of myself, I want to apologize for Dr. Singh going into a math lesson there. (laughs) But it was talking about working out and stuff like that. So, I mean, the the math alone makes me sweat. (laughs) Well, there's your start of your exercise regime. And, you know, it takes a little while to have results show a lot of people get uh you know they get a little down because they think well i've been working out for a whole week i should i should start feeling better and looking better and it could take a while in fact they say for the average person who does some sort of physical activity it takes two weeks to start seeing results when you try a new workout. So if you've been working out or exercising on a regular basis, and then you say, hey, I'm going to start this new crunch routine or uh, legs or something like that, and you think you should be you know, starting to show the results right away, it's going to take at least two weeks. And for beginners... It could take up to two months before you see a real change. So I That's know- because when you start the new one, you get sore because you're trying to overdo sure. it. And then you're sore and you don't feel like going. And then you say, okay, I'm not going to do it anymore because I'm sore. And poor beginners waiting two months to see a real change. And this time of year, there are so many things competing against <laughs> your best efforts, mm-hmm. <laughs> like holiday foods and parties and and you know maybe some drinks or something like that. That's why my suggestion is, and it's not something that Dr. Singh totally agrees with. In fact, I don't think he agrees with me at all. No, so on this, this is the part that doesn't have anything to do with Michigan Primary Care Partners. Right. This is you. I'm just saying that you set your scale back a half pound each day. <laughs> 
<laughs> as as it heads up to Thanksgiving, you know, and then you know you lose twenty pounds over the uh, process. Listen, I'm trying to to give them some good advice on how they can actually kind of head into the new year a little ahead of the game instead of. We sometimes have to do the opposing viewpoint for, you know, the the other side of what Dr. Singh is saying. Now, and I'm not saying that I'm at all in this category of, uh, you know, working out, whether it's the average workout person or even a beginner. I need to start doing some plans and other things that people might be thinking about, even though not necessarily this month, diets. Mm-hmm. The keto diet, a really big deal right now. And according to a new study out of Yale, it says the keto diet might be able to help you fight off the flu. It's that diet where you eat no carbs, uh, just fats, meat, dairy, a few vegetables. So there you go. If if you can actually take this diet and and use it properly, it might help you fight off the flu. Because when you're in a state of ketosis, it activates a groups of cells in your lungs, and the cells help fight off flu virus. Well, that's a good thing. I mean, that's another thing that, uh, I mean, f- I mean, there's been a lot of diets. It's not just the keto diet, oh, but there's no, been a no. lot of diets that are, um, that get rid of carbs. You know, right. I think Atkins was one of the first ones, you know, that did that, the Atkins diet. And get rid of the carbs. And so is it, would it be any of those diets? I don't know. This says specifically a study of the keto diet from Yale University. Now, this doesn't mean that everybody can do that. So Mm. if you're trying to start a new diet, especially if you have underlying health issues, speak with your physician first. That's Mm -hmm. what we always say. That's exactly what we always say because we are not professionals as far as doctoring goes. (laughs) Pretty much as far as anything goes. True. But as doctoring, we are we are far away from it. And that's the reason we talk with Dr. Singh and bring him in, because he's the one who's got all of the uh, details of how everything works. Yeah, and coming up, we're going to be talking a little bit about illness during the holidays, um, some things about the holidays that might make you healthier and might make you not healthier. Is drinking healthy? And that's what I was wondering about. It, it is not. However, I'm happy to say that I actually have a story about wine and your health. Oh, well. Okay, well, what is that one? Uh, That one (laughs) is that wine in certain uh, combinations. Like four four or five bottles? Not at all. (laughs) It's a fantastic disinfectant from bad mouth germs. Mm -hmm. So there you go. If you have bad mouth germs, a little bit of wine might be something that might work for you. Generally, uh, when you have enough wine, that's when you get a bad mouth. That's what uh, I usually have to tell you. Calm down a little bit. Uh, the acidity and alcohol concentration in wine isn't what's what's responsible for the antibacterial properties. Instead, it's organic compounds fo- found in both red and white wines. So could help your uh, some issues that you might have with bacteria in the mouth mm-hmm. there you go well there you, that is a good thing and that probably is something that would help counteract the flu also yeah now i'm not saying to drink wine and you're going to you know get rid of the flu uh here's another good thing if you like chocolate and wine the next time you come down with a cough maybe a little piece of chocolate will help with cough suppressant 
Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you this. When I was younger, uh, I mean, we had a wine that was uh, that was like a cough suppressant. It was MD 2020. <laughs> That's not it but, at all. But you shouldn't use that either. And remember, all, all of these things you need to check with your actual physician and uh, see what they have to say about it. Don't listen to just things that we're reading you from scripts. Absolutely true. And we will have more holiday health information coming up. Yes, we will. One more segment to go on Health Matters, and we thank you for listening. This is WBRN, and we are Robin Louise.